everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, minute by minute, or thereabouts. Uh, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am your other host, uh, Sarah, and um, we have a guest with us today as well, which is super exciting. Um, So we want to welcome Tom Martin. Tom, welcome to the show. Hello, guys. I cannot put into words how excited I am to be here with you guys talking about (laughs) this film, which I have watched throughout my life. And uh, yeah, excitement levels are through the roof. Maybe the caffeine, but it's probably just the film. (laughs) yeah we're very excited uh to have you on as well you were one of the first people that got in touch with us and said that you wanted to be a guest so super excited to have you um just a a very a brief uh (laughs) response to this because i have to ask guests to do this because pretty much everyone we get on says how much they love jaws but um just briefly um what is it that you love so much about jaws uh this is hard for me it really is because um, I am, film is my thing. Film is my thing. It's my biggest passion in life other than my wife. Cause she would cut my head off if she heard me saying that first. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and my family, of course, but the, Jaws is a really, really special film for me as it is for, I know a lot of people, um, and, and people that you know, like all us three and everyone that is listening to this podcast has got a passion for Jaws and it comes from different places, I think. But for me, Jaws represents everything that is magical and wonderful about cinema um and the way i got into it was through my dad um my my, my dad is a, is a film fan he's not, not 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 a film fan on the levels that i am but he's also a big music fan and he he, he just said to me he said if you're going to watch films you've got to watch jaws he said it's 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 the classic hollywood film um and he introduced it to me and he he was obsessed with um with quint he loved quint and he said i think quint is one of the most amazing characters i've ever seen on film Robert Shaw's performance is like nothing else I've ever seen. And he told me the stories about like what, what Robert Shaw was like filming and all this. So I went in thinking this film's going to be good. What I wasn't expecting and what he didn't talk about is that it scared the absolute shit out of me. And <laughs> that that has led on for me to me being uh, pretty much obsessed with horror my, my, my entire adult life. I've got more and more into horror as the years have gone by. But Jaws was the, the first film that I watched. Um, that I wasn't expecting to be scared by. And it really freaked me out. Because if you go into a horror film, I remember seeing like The Blair Witch Project when I was 15 or 16, whichever one it was. And and I knew it was going to be scary. So I was sat there waiting to be scared. But with Jaws and this scene that we're going to talk about today, I wasn't ready for it. I was not ready for how much it was going to get me. Um, mm. And it did. And it still does. And I think that's what I tap into every time I watch it. I'm reminded of the first time I saw it. And that's the thing with being a horror fan is that you're always trying to chase that those first scares that you had. And Jaws is that for me. It, it's got that terrifying opening that is so bold and so I- incredible um, when you compare, like, I, I won't keep going on because I'll, I'll go on a rant, but <laughs> I've, I've got loads of Jaws stories I can tell you throughout my life where I've, I've seen the film where I've, I, I, I've, I've done Jaws related things and blah, 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 but essentially I, I come back to it and I love it because of the, the fact it, it terrified me and had some amazing characters and also it's Steven Spielberg's masterpiece in my opinion and he's one of the best directors there ever was so yeah i could waffle on for hours but i'll stop there (laughs) well fortunately you get uh, many opportunities to waffle on some more as we as we get into this scene but i think it's yeah it's interesting what you're saying about jaws being a horror because i think a lot of people either forget that or don't give it the credit for that and it certainly i would say in the first half an hour 45 minutes or so it really is a horror and I think it, it goes other places as the film goes on. But um, 
yeah, for this moment that we're talking about in particular, it is very firmly in the horror genre. So um, just for the listeners, if you are going to be watching along with us, um, the timestamp of this scene is from three minutes and 35 seconds in uh, up to five minutes and eight seconds in. So it basically starts from when we are underwater looking up at Chrissy and it finishes just as it fades from the sea at night after the attack into the the next day. Um, So that's where we're up to. And um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hand over to you, MJ, first to talk about uh, this scene or, yeah, particularly how it starts as well, because I know you just watched it. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, when we last left our uh, short term heroes, Tom and Chrissy, they had just uh, headed down to the beach for, um, you know, uh, uh, a late night, early morning uh, skinny dip. And (laughs) Tom had some issues because he was inebriated and passed out on the beach and Chrissy made her way into the water and where we're picking up right now is basically just her being murdered by a shark um that's <laughs> i know that sounds very simplistic uh and how we're going to get you know a 30 to 45 minute podcast out of it, it doesn't seem possible but that's that's kind of one of the uh the 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 challenge of challenges of the podcast but this is her uh, it's literally just a shark attack right so we see her get dragged by the shark. We see it from the shark's perspective, first shark, first shark perspective again. <laughs> and um, then we see her get dragged one way and another way and another way. And she's screaming. And then she grabs onto a buoy for help. And it uh, does her no good whatsoever. She gets dragged closer to the forefront of the screen and uh, just kind of erratically while she's screaming the whole time. And then we see Tom pass out on the beach, uh, you know, kind of helpless in his own way to help Chrissy. And then we get a fade into the next day, which is the lead into them finding the body and, and Tom, you know, reporting the, the attack. So that's the gist of the scene. But there's a lot more going on uh, underneath the surface, both uh, kind of literally within the text of the movie and uh, just in, in the context of, of what this scene is for the rest of the film and what the scene is, uh, we'll talk about this, I think, later. This is my big sticking point for it, but in the context of Steven Spielberg's career. So, mm. Yeah, I wanna, let's talk about the um, perspective, I think, because we spoke about this in the first episode uh, with first, first Shark Perspective, as we're calling it, uh, FSP, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> as no one is calling it. And... Um, we i think it's it's interesting that we we're put back in that position of being the shark or being the attacker again and it feels very voyeuristic as well in Mm -hmm. that we spoke about this again that that she is she is naked she is vulnerable um and we alternate as well between kind of above water and below water and above water chrissy is happy she's smiling and below water the threat is there and again we are put in the in the perspective of the threat as it approaches her um tom i wonder if you could speak to like obviously you're you've said you're a you're a big horror fan and what this scene does i guess in terms of first kills and how it perhaps compares to some other other horror films and how they set up their first kill 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that has always wowed me about this scene um, and just the, the just the audacity that Spielberg had um, at that point in his career, at that uh, at that age. And the fact that this is only his second film, you guys touched on touched on this in the first episode. But just just to have the balls to in the first opening minutes to introduce us to characters that we don't even know. We haven't there's, there's no character building. There's no familiarity. You're, you're not you're not um, given any reason to care about these characters. He takes them off the beach. He puts one of them in the water and he gets eaten alive by a shark. And and to do that within the first few minutes is so unusual for any horror film and certainly any horror film that came before it. Because, again, you guys mentioned this is one of the first slashers. I mean, this was 1975. In 1974, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. And that is an extreme slasher. There there is, is, you know, horror in that and, and nastiness throughout. But this film, again, as I say, it wasn't advertised as a horror film so that's why i think it, it it got so many people to the level that it did because people had sat down with their big bags of popcorn to sit down and watch this 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 summer you know film that's advertised as being on the beach yes everyone knew that a shark was involved but i don't think anyone was expecting the level of terror and 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 that, that, that was that was instantly thrown at them now this opening scene that you guys talked about the first person view from the from the shark it's actually quite unique. And, and again, MJ mentioned uh, Halloween as, as one of the first ones to do it a couple of years later. I saw a film last year called Crawl, um, mm-hmm. which which is about, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it sounds like you have, um, but it was yep. uh, alligators that, that basically uh, there's, there's a flood um, in, in, in a town in, in America. I can't remember where it's set. But the, there are shot Florida, there we go, good man. So <laughs> there, are, there, there are shots in that where you see it from directly from the crocodile's first person. And that's, you know, we're, 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 that was 2019 which is, you know, 45 years later uh, from when Jaws came out. So it, I can't think and I couldn't think of a film, uh, uh, certainly a horror film or many films that came out before where the terror, you were put in the eyes of the killer. Um, and in the in the opening, the very first thing you see in the film is that shot underwater uh, with, with, with the theme, um, with John Williams' theme, where the shark's sort of like just, just crawling. And this one, it's looking up. And one of the first things I thought from here is that, that obviously the iconic poster, that everyone talks about where the shark is looking up at Chrissy. Um, this scene takes you into the poster, which is one of the things I thought about watching the other day. It's like everyone went in having looked at the poster and being like, wow, that looks interesting. You go in and you're basically transported into the poster, looking up at Chrissy being the shark. So, and that, that's so clever. I, I couldn't think of another example where that's happened. Um, mm. And you, you know what's coming. But again, I don't think anyone was uh, anticipated how terrifying it was going to be. I have never thought about it in that way before that it's like putting you into the poster. <laughs> My yeah, mind same. is blown slightly uh, yep. as I'm just like, yeah, it is. Like now you say it, it seems totally obvious that, that that's what you're doing. And that, I think that's so interesting as well. And I wonder how many other people would kind of make that connection, but it is very deliberate in that, you know, we're, we're underneath and, and looking up. Um, one thing I noticed in this uh, this time as well, like rewatching it uh, in preparation for this, is that the the camera when she is being attacked, the camera barely moves. Mm. Um, so not only is is Chrissy powerless and vulnerable as we've spoken about, but we as the audience, when we are taken out of the shark perspective and then we're placed in the position i guess of a a powerless and helpless voyeur we are just watching and 
she is being thrashed around and there is nothing we can do about it and that is terrifying yeah, and and that's that's absolutely right. I mean, this is this is the thing is that Chrissy is a character that, like I say, we don't know, we don't have any reason to care for her, but instantly you you feel sorry for her, and you're you're it's terrifying to watch because you know there's, there's there's that moment when she clings onto the the, the the boy, and it's almost like that's what any human would do because it would be actually really exhausting being dragged around like that. And yeah, I I, I just think um uh, again the question that you asked about Tony in terms of this being horror it really set the scene for what would need to come afterwards. And, you know, in terms of the decades that came after and all the blockbusters that came after it and, and all the horror films that came after it, but nothing has ever replicated the sheer terror of the first three minutes of this film for me. Um, and they, that, that linked to the poster, by the way, that was only something that I came up with watching it the other day, which, I, which is probably my 15th time watching the film. So like you say, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really like the point you made about, uh, Tom, about Texas Chainsaw was a year before, and that's kind of the gold standard of slasher movies. But I would say, honestly, I think Jaws is technically more violent than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There are not a lot of deaths on screen in that movie. It's very visceral and disturbing and unsettling. But as far as actual on-screen violence, there's not a lot that happens in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this movie in the first, what, we're five minutes and eight seconds in. And this scene is gross. Like, it's very violent. It's very um, visceral. And and so this is, I, I just watched the scene before we started recording. And one thing I noticed, I think I've never watched this movie on headphones before. Mm. And the the screams coming out of Chrissy are really kind of hard to watch. But also, and this might make me sound like a psycho, it's very <laughs> satisfying as someone who's seen the movie a lot of times that I can discover something new like in the sound design. Like, I've never heard how she's kind of gargling water and kind of like like blubbering through the water mm. while she's getting dragged around until I've watched it on headphones in preparation for this show. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 absolutely right. And I, that's one thing I was going to touch on is is Susan Baclini was a, was a, a stunt woman, um, and they they got her, you know, Stephen got her in to do this, and you can tell by the way that they they, they sort of filmed it that she was up for anything. And and another thing I, I I'm I've, I've learned over the years of being obsessed with Jaws is that the way they got that gargling sound is that they they tilted her head back, put a microphone next to her mouth, and poured water in her, in her mouth from above. So they they were literally drowning her. So the noise that you hear of her sort of like drowning is is is, is actually what they did, and they, and obviously they did it to the, not to a point where it was dangerous, but that that like the screams are what sticks with me, and the the noise. I mean, like when you watch Jaws, you have to watch it loud. Because if you don't watch it loud, you're not fully immersed for me. And the one of the things I was another thing I was going to talk about is the it's such a beautiful scene because the the the, the, the transition between what's happening with Tom on the beach and what's happening with her in the water is so extreme because he's got this beautiful sunset in the background. He's passed out. He's had a few drinks. He's got a beautiful girl that's in the water, and he's he's he, he doesn't know too much about it. But then you cut to the water, and it's absolute horror. And then right at the end, she's she's screaming, you know, it hurts, it hurts. Oh my god. Her head goes under and all you hear is the boy and it's peace and quiet and dead silent. And it's it's 
so bipolar in terms of you know what's happening on one on one side and what's happening on the other. And then there's just a beautiful tranquility that comes after it. And I, I, over the years, I, I, don't know whether, I don't know whether it's because I'm a bit twisted and a bit sick in the head. But in a way, I almost feel good for Tom once she goes under because it's really it's a really nice shot. And, and it's really it's really it's really calm and really and I think oh man I'd quite like to be on that beach I feel sorry for Chrissy of course and she you know that, what's happening to her is an absolute nightmare but it's such a lovely shot and the way it finishes and like you say the audio is really important in that because it's such high-pitched screaming and then it just cuts to just waves and the and the boy and yeah it's so yeah, yeah. look we we don't we don't judge here uh so <laughs> that's fine <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing yeah but I I what I find quite terrifying about this scene is like you were saying the the sound in it as well as what we're seeing um so i experimented in one of my many rewatches of this uh scene in preparation for this just listening to it and not watching it and obviously as we know i've seen jaws many many times so i am playing out in my head but it's an interesting thing to try because we spoke about in i think the first episode about what the scenes are like when you take the music away from it but in this particular scene it's interesting to just listen to the sounds when you take the visuals away from it and the sounds of her screaming are so terrifying but also when it is then punctuated by that sudden silence and the way it cuts back to tom on the beach i think is very effective i think that that's even more effective than just having this really intense screaming loud scene because it's the sudden breaks and the sudden moments of silence that really kind of like it gives you that pause for breath as well um slight kind of like nervous chuckle as well because um Chrissy is like screaming like for help and Tom's like I'm coming (laughs) he is he is going nowhere he is passed the f out on that beach he is not moving um and (laughs) what I do find quite funny though is how drunk uh tom must be in this uh scene because she is really very loud and i watched it with headphones as well so can testify that that is a good thing to uh to do when you're watching this film really good quality headphones and um she is loud and he apart from that i'm coming which he doesn't seem to make any efforts to get up um does he does he not hear her i mean how much has he had to drink that's my question. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And, and like I say, it's so extreme when they cut from one to the other. But what I would say is that what, what that does, and, and that shows how effective this scene is, is that Chrissy is totally alone and no, nobody can hear her, nobody can help her, including Tom. Because when they cut to Tom, you might think that they would they would have the audio of Chrissy screaming in the background, but they don't. You, mm. you, it, it's almost like they're in totally separate places. And it also makes you feel that she's really far out in the water. So it's like, even if he woke up, he wouldn't be able to get near her because she's so far out that you can't even hear her screaming. Because it's not like when they cut back to her that there are breaks between when she's screaming and when she's not. She's constantly screaming, help me, help me, help me. It cuts cuts back and it's dead quiet. All you can hear is the waves and Tom's all muttering to himself because he's so hammered. But that that, that adds to the, the, the horror of it and adds to the, the sense of her being completely isolated and with no hope in hell of getting out of the situation that she's in. Yeah, I think I think one thing is hearing hearing you guys talk about it, it it this movie is such a perfect balance of you know the 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 sort of brash uh you know throwing caution to the wind um story that we kind of get fed through the narrative of of jaws and going over budget and the nightmare of shoot 
but there's a lot of restraint that goes into uh the the, the very least the post-production and the editing and shot selection you know like Tom, you were saying the 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 sort of tranquil uh, tranquility, or no, Sarah, you were saying this, the tranquility of how still the camera is with the erratic movements of Chrissy in the water, uh, and then cutting back and forth between Tom, and even the way we fade into the scene, we fade into what, for all intents and purposes, for these people of Amity Island is a normal, you know, whatever Saturday Sunday morning, mm. and. You know, they're prepping for the 4th of July and they they have no idea what's coming. And I think one of the important things about this movie, um, I was I was talking offline about a friend with the, uh, about this, uh, that I think this movie and another Spielberg movie that we uh, I think we will name drop a lot. But we name dropped in the last episode, Jurassic Park for functionally Jurassic Park and Jaws have the exact same opening sequence. Yeah. Um, and. It is such a good expository device for the rest of the movie because the audience knows something that the protagonists don't, and that is what they're up against. And I think that's really important because it helps us root for them when they figure stuff out, and it helps us get scared for them when they get just close enough or when they run into a roadblock like with Mayor Vaughn or, um, you know, their, their, their evidence isn't quite as... Uh, together as it should be after they find the tiger shark and go after and find Ben Gardner's boat and he drops the the tooth or whatever like it really helps ground us into knowing what these characters are up against without them knowing and so we get to feel a lot of their decisions I think a lot more because we have the the added context of what this thing actually is Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, I, I, you know, I was going to talk about the Jurassic Park thing as well, because I've always thought the Jurassic Park was Spielberg's little love letter to Jaws, because he basically mm-hmm. took everything that he did in Jaws, amplified it by 10 and made it so that it would um, make the most money and appeal to the most people, because obviously di- kids love dinosaurs. There's nothing, and again, we touched on this before a minute ago, but there's not a lot in this film that would appeal to children for me, other than the fact that it's set on the beach, I guess, and it's quite a nice film to look at. And there, are, there there's a great, obviously John Williams score is playful at times. It's really nice. There, There's the lovely scenes later on with Brody and his son when they're imitating each other. It's a family film in some respects, but it's such a genre blending film that in some, in some ways it's completely different to Jurassic Park because yes, Jurassic Park has bits of horror, bits of um, adventure, bits of comedy, but this film is so simple. It's got such a, um, you you can connect the dots a lot easier with what he was trying to do and the simplicity of it is why I love it so much and why I would put it on a slightly higher pedestal than Jurassic Park because you can see what Spielberg was trying to do with Jurassic Park like I say it was trying to appeal to everybody with it but this one I've always wondered what was who was Spielberg's like target audience when he was making this film because yes now it's a 12 or in the UK the BBFC have rated it as a 12a um I'm not sure what it is in America it's not rated r is it what's the one below that no, it's it's rated it's rated PG here. PG. This film is not PG. It's no, not even close. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Like, like there is there is so much blood in this film as well. Like like later on, some some of the deaths later on. There's guts of like tons of blood. It's crazy. And, and, and again, and I, well, the scene we're talking about though, the, the reason why it's so powerful and so um, uh, special, there's no blood. It you know, and and this for me is again why it's so powerful is that. Chrissy is being eaten alive. We don't see blood. 
we can't see below the surface. So we don't know whether she's had her toe bitten off, her ankle or her entire, you know, bottom half of her body. And that adds to it all. It adds to the mystery. What you don't see is always more terrifying than what you do see. And Jurassic Park got very quickly into showing you these giant dinosaurs. And within 10 minutes of the film, you know, you've seen the biggest dinosaurs they have to offer. Whereas this film, yes, it was due to budgetary reasons later on. But in this scene in particular, Spielberg knew what he was doing and he didn't want to show you the shark. He wanted you to think what on earth is happening underneath the surface. And that has never been replicated. And that is why, for me, the film has had such a lasting lasting, um, shelf life because everyone was scared to go in the water after this because you never know what's underneath the surface. And this scene is exactly why that, that, that fear still exists, I think. Because, yes, you can look underneath you and see it's clear for the moment, but you could look up for 30 seconds and something could swim in and, and chew your leg off. And that's this is that this scene achieves that for me. Yeah, I think that's the 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 very essence of Jaws really is the the fear being the thing that's unseen and obviously this is something that the film establishes right in in the opening which we talked about in the first episode with the music being the the stand-in for the shark really and we we certainly get that here and i think it's it's very subtly brought in as well in this scene which is something i really appreciated um when you kind of first see chrissy it's i think the subtitles come up with like eerie instrumental music um side note i always really enjoy looking at what the (laughs) subtitles describe the music as um and then but very 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 faintly in the background you can just hear the like dun dun like it whilst that music is playing that's not kind of like the recognizable theme and then obviously as the shark is approaching it builds and that's you know when we when we know that the threat is is very real but also what you were saying there tom about the the this scene doesn't have the gore and it doesn't have the blood that we get in some of the later deaths and i think i would argue that quince uh death is the bloodiest and we'll yeah get, we'll get to that in many it's years. so gross <laughs> it really it is. is have you have you seen the, the deleted scenes where you can just see robert shaw spitting up all the blood yes oh man <laughs> i have so not seen that check it out it, it's like the, and all the crew are laughing afterwards because he's, he's he, he sits up and all his blood yeah and it gets in his eyes and it's all over his face and then when, when oh says, he says cut and all, and all the crew are laughing yeah check it out <laughs> yeah and even um Alex's death as well, which we'll get to in a few weeks. That mm-hmm. is very, very bloody and I think surprisingly gory as well. But there's so, so much... much blood. So <laughs> much blood. <laughs> a literal fountain of blood. Um, but in this scene, there's there's power in not seeing that. Like you said, it's the unknown. Has she just had, you know, a toe nibbled off, or is she completely, you know, bitten in half from the waist down? We don't we don't know. And I think that makes it even more terrifying and certainly the i want to talk about as well the 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 movement and the just the way that um susan backlinney uh acts in this scene as well which is incredible and i think that she maybe doesn't get enough credit just because she is in it for only the first five minutes um but what she is able to achieve in this is really incredible and i think being a stunt woman like you said um helps obviously she she has the skills and the capabilities to be kind of thrashed around like this and and still be able to act in that moment as well um but what i was uh, reading about is that behind the scenes uh 
the kind of making of this scene is that she was being like pulled and dragged around by levers which were being controlled by by the crew on the beach so (laughs) her movements are almost completely involuntary so she is just reacting to what is happening and where she was being pulled and dragged at that moment and i got me to thinking like me putting myself in that situation i would be screaming uh in that situation as well and i think Mm -hmm. that's such an effective way of replicating this this attack and just blows my mind really that that you know that that was how they did it and i think that i hope i'm not making this up in like in a making of i think they tried doing it where she just kind of like thrashed around but they just they weren't happy with how it looked and they wanted to get that sense of her really being dragged around by a force that she couldn't see or control or have any influence over and that's why they went for this this method of kind of having her rigged up to this thing that pulled her around and dragged her around but it's yeah so effective <laughs> yeah totally I, I i agree and I, just just to jump back to what we were talking about a minute ago about the the, the, the blood uh, element not to obsess mm. over blood but i do um <laughs> th- th- there, there there is a point from the production where um spielberg didn't want anyone to dress in red he only wanted red to be shown when there was blood. And mm. if you if you watch this scene, that, that it's intentional that there's no blood because it's meant to introduce you to it, Spielberg. Kind of, he, he he gives you a, a teaser uh, or a, a starter before the main course. And I think Quint is definitely the, the main course. Um, but that's just an interesting note to, to point out there. I thought. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of um, the, the the work um, to achieve that that death scene. I totally agree. I think Susan Baclini doesn't get anywhere near the appreciation that she deserves. There, there, there was there was a long-standing rumor that when she says, you know, she she says, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god," as she's getting chewed to death, and then at one point she says, um, "It hurts." And it was long-standing that people thought that she was referring to the fact that there were blokes on the beach pulling her in different directions, and she had <laughs> cables attached to her body, and she was actually saying, you know, that what you're doing hurts. She has since said at fan Q and A's that, that that wasn't the case. But I, I like to believe that it wasn't. And I like to believe that she was actually in pain because it looks like she is, right? It, it, like you say. Yeah. And, and and the film, you know, uh, on, on the whole, a lot of people say that the, the, the effects of the film haven't stood up that well over time. They say that, you know, Bruce the shark, you can tell it's fake. I would die on the hill of, t- of saying all of that is the biggest pile of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. And then <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people say that in this scene, you can tell that when you watch it, knowing that she's being pulled in different directions, you can tell that there's one person pulling her in this way and one person pulling her that way. And it's like, well, of course you can think that when you know how they achieved it. But if you actually think if there was a shark under the water dragging her in all these directions, it's incredible that they achieved the the, 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 the visuals that they did and the the um, how realistic it looks. Like you say, I don't see I don't see a better way they could have achieved the effect of a shark dragging you in different directions and trying to to bite you and, and pull you all over the place. And another thing to know about this is that uh, this is really cool. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but when she finally bobs under the water and she disappears and it will go silent, it was actually Spielberg that was underneath and pulled her under. I did hear that. Um, and I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, cool, it's right? pretty great. That's pretty great. I th- So this is going to get into a sub-segment that I don't know how often it's going to show up, but I feel like it's going to be kind of, I feel like this is going to be a, a soapbox I stand on for a while, which is... <laughs> Uh, just like MJ calls bullshit on all of that lame criticism, (laughs) which is one, look, I, so I have an uncle who used to do magic tricks semi-professionally and 
as such, he gave me a very big appreciation for both sleight of hand and like stage illusion magic. Mm. And I actually love. So the other thing is I have a background in concert production as like an audio engineer. So I like seeing behind the scenes stuff. I like knowing kind of how the sausage gets made. And for me, knowing how they achieve certain things, whether it's, you know, with a, a stage illusion or the trick behind a sleight of hand thing or in filmmaking, it makes me appreciate those things more because it doesn't mean I can replicate those things just by knowing what it is. You know, I I very much know that when I sign up for a film, I'm going to a heightened sense of reality. You know, I, I that's the contract you make by watching any movie ever. Mm. And so by knowing all those little behind the scenes things of her getting pulled, you know, from remote levers, that's still amazing. They still had to go and rig that up and do that to, mm. to make that happen. And the fact that they, you know, they had to do it in 1975 because they couldn't just rely on CG water and CG, you know, models of Chrissy being replaced in. They had to go and figure out a way to violently drag this person across the water. That makes it even better to me where it's like they put in the work. It shows the craftsmanship that went into this movie. These people cared about it. And yeah, at a certain point, it does kind of sound like, uh, uh, an audacious young director trying to just, you know, execute his vision to the, the most perfect way possible. But it also is what it took to create something that has stood the test of time to the point where these people in 2020 are doing a minute by minute breakdown of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally agree i mean the amount of conversations i've had in my life where i tell people that visual effects beat special effects it's just like we could talk about it for a day but yeah. the, 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 and again the comparison that i would make is this film was done with no special effects there is no cgi it was in 1975 cgi didn't even exist at that point but then if right. you compare it to something like jurassic park right jurassic park was made in 1994 here we are in 2020 what's the one thing that people say about jurassic park that hasn't aged that well over time it's the cgi you know, the, mm -hmm. and and the and, and the, the, the paddock scene when the T Rex breaks out. The best scenes in that are when they used an actual practical physical T Rex head, and the eye opens like that. That that is astonishing, and you see that you see the water pouring down off it. But when it comes out and its and its feet go into the puddles, it looks like CGI. This film didn't have it didn't even have the option. And and another thing to to consider, and this is an, a whole we won't go into this, but if they ever were to remake Jaws. You, you, which, which they should never do. And if they did, I will send something in the post to whoever decides to do that. <laughs> you, they would definitely use CGI, and it would ruin it. This, this film is the poster and the advert for why practical effects are the most, um, the best way of, of um, doing scares, doing uh, adventure, anything like that. Um, and I agree with you, Andrea. I, I, I don't think there's anything I would change about this film, including the practical effects because they make it what it is. And they, and that they are a big part in why it's, it's still as amazing and, 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 and well loved as it was back in 1975. The, the hill that I will die on is that um, the shark in Jaws looks better than any CGI shark in any subsequent shark film. And we won't go into like the truly terrible ones where like they make them look bad. And I think some of the Jaws sequels are guilty of that and certainly getting into the Sharknado franchise. But um, thinking of a, let's go for a more legitimate shark film. Uh, so I'm thinking of The Shallows, which I did, I did really enjoy. Yeah, um, very good. But I 
still there's still moments in that where I'm like, that's a CGI shark, and I can tell that it is, and therefore it doesn't feel as threatening. And the shark in Jaws, I know people mock the kind of like the flabby jowls it has because you can sort of see the joints and and it you know the way that it's put the way that it's put together or that it looks a bit rubbery or whatever but also bullshit yeah bullshit. yeah there we go and also it was made in 1975 i love to remind people of that and also it's i don't think it looks bad and no it doesn't yeah and i know that we obviously in this scene that we're talking about we we don't see the shark so we will spend lots of time talking about the actual shark when when we get to it but I just think that it's. I think so much can be learned from Jaws in the in the less is more approach, and that something can be terrifying without seeing it. And we've spoken about this this before, and that you know a lot of that is to do with the score. And um, I imagine that we will talk about the score many times throughout this podcast series. But I think that the the thing that is particularly terrifying in this scene is the like we spoke about the the sound and the sound of the screams and also the sudden silence that that's broken up with as well the fact that the camera doesn't really move and therefore puts us in that helpless position and also i think the fact that we don't see the shark in this scene and i don't know whether the original intention was to see the shark had it been a bit more reliable or or working properly but i think that it's the better for it and whether you know it was just the circumstances and the and the sequence of events that led to us getting this version of jaws but i'm delighted it turned out this way and i think that other shark films could learn from from this approach yeah definitely definitely and, and i think um as, as I, I, I mentioned before the the fact that we don't see the shark too much later on was was they had problems with the mechanics of it and, and you know, Spielberg would like to have shown more of it. But this scene, he has categorically said, I didn't want you to see what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a staple that I, I've had so many conversations with horror film fans and just film fans in general. What you don't see is always more scary than what you do see. And and uh, a great example of that would be, do you guys see the film Signs by M. Night Shyamalan? Mm-hmm. Nope. Right. So <laughs> I think that's a great film. I think it stands. I actually think it's really underrated anyway. The best element of it is that there's this tension and mystery building and building and building as to what's actually going on. Are there aliens? Are there not? They they, they tap into to noises. They hear things in the gut in the in the in the, in the, the crops the crop fields behind the, the house. As soon as you see the alien, you go, oh for God's sake, what? <laughs> oh no, why why'd you do that? And it loses something as soon as you do. J.J. Abrams, the the uh, great film director who, well, he used to be great, but not so great these days. But anyway, <laughs> he, 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 uh, he said something once, which I always tapped, to, tapped into, and it was, it was around the time that Lost was being made. He said, I, uh, at my house, I've got a mystery box that my dad mm. gave me. And he said, have you, you might have heard this, MJ, it's a great story. He said, I, ke- I keep it in my house. And they said, and so the person was interviewing him said, what's in the box? And he said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. But it, it's a box that having the box in my house and not knowing what's in it, and wondering what's in it is so much better than opening and actually seeing what's in the box. Because when you don't know what's in the box, you have to use something called your imagination. Mm. And when someone shows their arm being ripped off or their leg being ripped off, yes, it's good fun. And you see that in tons of 80s um, slasher horror films and, and, and other stuff. But it, the fact that you don't see it means anything could be happening. And there are limitless um, possibilities as to what really is happening. And I, that is like, like you say, Sarah, in terms of hills that you would die on, I, that is the hill that I would die on in terms of my love for film is 
mystery is so much more impactful and long lasting than savagery. Uh, yeah. And this film, again, is the perfect example. I mean, this film is just perfect all round, isn't it? But that's just one example of perfection. Yeah. Have you guys seen Duel? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Duel. Um, it's incredible. And I think it's it's even more than Jaws is a case study in this. And, you know, uh, particularly because Spielberg. Um, there's this fantastic scene in Duel where the, the protagonist driver steps into this diner and he knows that the driver of the oh. truck is in the diner. I love that and scene. <laughs> the, it's so good. It's one of the best scenes of Spielberg's career to this day, I think. Yep, agreed. And he, the paranoia of not knowing who this driver could, it could be literally anybody in this in this diner and you never find out who it is and you never see the driver it's su- it's such a good movie and lays such good groundwork for what Spielberg does with Jaws. It's such a perfect bridge um, from Spielberg before Jaws to why he was the perfect choice to make Jaws. Yeah, uh, I, t- I couldn't agree more. And I, just a little tidbit, which links into Jaws. It's a nice little setup there, MJ. The, the noise that you hear in Jaws when... Spoiler alert again, if you haven't seen the film, but if you haven't, you probably shouldn't be listening to this. At the end, when when Quint, uh, sorry, when um, Brody shoots the, sh- uh, shoots the shark and it blows up, as it's sinking to the water, there's this sort of strange aquatic noise where it's almost like, like that. If you listen closely, you can hear it. That noise was in Jewel when the um, when the truck goes off the side of the cliff. It's the same noise. Mm. I thought that was a cool note. I, I never knew that. Yeah, Spielberg liked to drop these things in, and then there's the shooting star as well. That he always put yeah. shooting stars in his films. Well, that's, that's another yeah. whole other thing, isn't it? <laughs> Many weeks until we get to uh, until we get to that. So point. yeah, we we got a ways to go before the shooting stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wonder as we sort of uh, start wrapping up because honestly, I could talk about this scene for forever but um we should we should probably start, start wrapping up soon um tom do you have anything else that you were just absolutely dying to say about this this scene in particular yeah i do i do actually and this is again <laughs> fun, funny that isn't it i mean how yeah. many you got uh, i've got a list i've got a list in front of me we've only got through half of what i actually wrote down um so what, what another thing i wanted to talk about um and this is very specific to me but it's the boy the the the, that boy that mm. is out in the water is is such an iconic sound to me. Mm. And a little story, when I was in my early 20s, this will give you an idea of how old I am, but when I was in my early 20s um, in, in 2004, um, there was a DVD released in the UK that my brother bought, and it was Jaws. I'd seen Jaws before, but I, I, I heard him watching it. And of course, if you, if you know someone's watching Jaws, you're going to go in and watch it with them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went in and watched it with him. And when the film finished there was a menu where it showed Chrissy and it showed the, the, the sort of POV of the shark going up to her. But the, the, the DVD menu was just the boy and, and the water. Mm-hmm. And it was just that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and, and you could hear the water. And I sat and watched that menu for about half an hour. And <laughs> I, I, I think when you talk about, you know, Jaws for me is when you talk about iconic films, it's, it's got to be top three if it's not your, if, it's, if it's not number one. Because there are so many elements of it that you just think, oh, yeah, that was in Jaws. That was in Jaws. And that boy, for me, is way up there. Because just, just that noise. And, 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 and that's the scene here that we're talking about. When, when Chrissy goes under the water and everything's peace and, peaceful and tranquil, that's all you hear. And, and, and what, what it does, that noise, is that it taps into the scene. So if you were to randomly hear that noise, it takes you back to that scene. 
for me. Every, and I've, I've been in places where I've heard them out on, on, on the coast and I'm, and, and I'm instantly taken back there. And it's just, I, I love that scene. And I'm also obsessed with DVD menus, but that's in a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a, a beacon of safety almost, isn't it? But the way that totally. it's used in this scene, I think is anything, anything but. And it's actually quite an ominous sound that like the ringing of a bell, I think is used um, in many different ways. You sort of think of like the ringing of, of church bells and everything in horror films of often sounds quite ominous in in the way that it's used and this feels like that as well and and there's um i think that it's uh hooper who says it later about like uh ringing the dinner bell or something yeah Um, it just just Mm -hmm. makes me think of makes me think of that as well like this uh the 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 bell noise on the boy is like grubs up shark like time (laughs) time for dinner um but it's yeah again like going back to um the shallows it's used they use the boy heavily in that as well um as it becomes the sanctuary of the character in in that film she is able to cling on to that and that is where she is safe away from the shark and um obviously jaws became you know came out long before that so everything every shark film since has taken its influence from jaws but you think you're going to get that moment as well as as chrissy clings onto it and you think that, you know, it's, it's this very brief moment of security and safety as she's got something to cling on to. Um, but then that is almost immediately snatched away. And the way that the, the scene finishes as well with that sound ringing out at sea and the stillness of the sea as well is something that I find quite haunting, I guess. And then there's this beautiful fade into the next morning, which... Uh, We'll cover on next week's episode, but it's yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Sarah. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, on that element, I mean, it's, it's a total beacon of safety, isn't it? But mm. the thing, the thing that we, this this scene taps into that is that is it's kind of it, it sets the scene, and it doesn't it, it does, it's not achieved to the same level in the rest of the film. But I think that's intentional. Is that it's what is like, and again, MJ said this. It's what's happening underneath the surface that is so scary because she goes under, and it's peaceful. You hear the boy, you hear the waves, and Tom's chilling out on the beach. But what is happening underneath the water is absolutely horrific. And it, mm-hmm. it's so violent. And if you imagine what's actually happening with Shark and Chrissy under the water, it's it's really quite like it's it's haunting. But you don't hear or see any of it. And that's the, that's the terror of this film. And uh, It's all underneath and you can't see any of it. There could be 25 sharks underneath you. You, you, you wouldn't be able to see or hear any of them. Mm-hmm. Um and another thing I wanted to just quickly touch on, I won't, I won't t- turn this into a two hour podcast. You guys, you guys gave Tom quite a bad rap in the first uh, episode. I thought not just, not just because his Whoa. name's Tom, not just because his name's Tom, because that's a good name. But one thing I did think watching it this time around was if you look at this film from a purely horror film perspective, you could suggest, you could suggest, I wouldn't because he's got a good name, but you could suggest that Tom is feeding Chrissy to, to, to Bruce. So in, in, there, in, there are many horror films when, um, a character knows uh, who the villain is. So you might suggest the Friday the 13th films, you know, Jason's mum is involved in some of the um, offerings that he gets and, th- and things like that. If you were to really look into it and look at this film from a strictly horror film perspective, you, you might suggest that um, Tom knows what he's doing and he is he is literally serving up the dinner bell and the bell rings before, during and after Bruce's meal. We love Tom really. Like, <laughs> I think yeah, great. he's great. Yeah, Tom's just, he's just trying to hang out, have a good time. <laughs> I have nothing against Tom. Well, um, mm. 
Did we describe uh, him I, as a predator last week? I think that's what they... <laughs> yeah, sure. There's that. I feel like we did a good enough job of being like, we're not saying he was predatory towards Chrissy at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so two things. One, I want to circle back to... Um, uh, to, to Susan Backlini, because I, I was having connection issues when we were having that discussion, so I didn't get to weigh in. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things, too, is she does such a good job endearing us to Chrissy because she does. I mean, how many lines do we get to know her in? It's like a couple, right? Like, what's your name? Chrissy, where are we going? Swimming. Like, there's <laughs> And there's such a joy in, the, in those lines. And, and it's so like, it's such a fun delivery of those lines that you you really like root for her and get really sad for her when when, when that happens and like i i think that 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 um to to imbue such empathy to a character in two not just lines but words it's two single word lines is really amazing yeah. you, i mean there are plenty i i feel like there are plenty of performers of any gender who have not endeared me to them over the course of an entire film uh, um the the way the way susan becklini has for for chrissy and then the the second thing and this is another one of mj soapboxes that he's going to come back to i think spielberg gets this absolutely insane reputation for being too schmaltzy and sentimental and I am not sure I will ever understand a criticism less than that. Um, because I think over the course of almost any Steven Spielberg movie, but particularly Jaws, I get a sense that he's been protecting everyone from how dark his mind actually is um, yeah. oh, over yeah. the course of his career. I think there's a real mean dark streak that runs through spielberg that i'm not sure he's ever let fully out of the bag and i feel like we might be better off for it (laughs) because i think i think this movie is so brutal in the way it it it, it kills people and who it kills that it's really like dark when you especially like watching it the way we are where we're isolating just kind of those scenes Mm. it's very satisfying to watch from a filmmaking perspective, but it's also very disturbing to watch from a person watching other people get brutalized perspective. And I think that that's been a little bit a theme through Spielberg's career. And so I've never really understood the, the not to say he hasn't gone into kind of schmaltzy territory, but I've never really understood how he got the reputation as, oh, he's the guy who makes really like sentimental saccharine movies. Yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. I think for me, um, it's he the films that he's made as his career has gone on, that they are family blockbuster films. And mm-hmm. the, 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 what the film that sprung to mind when you said that was War of the Worlds in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching that in the cinema, and it was it's quite a violent, and it's obviously it's sci fi. I, I really loved that film, but the ending, oh my god, I, I don't recall ever being in the cinema and seeing an ending when. And again, this is a spo- it's a spoiler if you haven't seen the film. But there's a scene when the boy that went missing halfway through the film and you think got eaten or taken by aliens walks up over the hill. And I think there's sunshine in the background. Then he walks back to the house and I was just, oh, no, Stephen, what are you doing? (laughs) I loved it. It was so like, again, the mystery of what happened to him was so awesome. It was it was the equivalent of 
Chrissy popping up back in the halfway through this film and going, hey, guys, nothing really happened. I'm all right. Um, and I think that's where the reputation comes from for Spielberg. Um, he does have a habit of making good, happy endings, or at least endings that leave, that leave you uh, uh, going out the cinema going, oh, yeah, like, like, like you know, if you, if you yeah. left the cinema after seeing this scene, you'd, you know, you'd be in a totally different mindset to, to, you, to you, you are when they, you know, the end of this film, when they swim back to shore and they're making jokes. But I get, just touching on what you, what you were alluding to there, MJ, I, there are two directors, and they're two, my two favourite directors, that I think if they went into properly making a scary horror film, they would be the scariest thing you've ever seen in your life. They are Steven Spielberg and David Lynch. And mm. neither, neither of them have ever done a full-blown horror film. And I think if they did, it would, like I say, it would be the scariest thing ever made. I think uh, 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 Spielberg... The, I, so Ready Player One is that for me. Like That is just covered in like his worst tendencies. But though, I mean, if the way I see it, if you make like Jaws and Jurassic Park and the Indiana Jones movies, you get a pass eventually. <laughs> and so, you know, they can't all be winners when you've made the movies that Steven Spielberg has made. And so I, I don't know. I think that there there's so there's so much more going on with that guy than than just, oh, he just makes sentimental, you know, family friendly sanitized blockbuster movies that make a lot of money yeah it's worth noting that at the moment steven spielberg is actually writing a a new horror series for um a quibi i think is a is that a, a network or something in america um or a subscription service but he's 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 right penning a horror series so i've got my eyes firmly on that yeah i think that it's an interesting thought on on Spielberg that he only makes those type of films and I think I wonder if that's just what people have projected onto him that they're the they're the films maybe that he is most well known for and like you said he has made those kind of like schmaltzy family friendly films but that's not all he's made and it's certainly not all he's capable of making and I think that when you go all the way back to to Jaws you can see that that there is that there is that dark streak there and there's certainly lightness and comedy and adventure in in Jaws later as well but this as a this as an opening is so bold and i think so clearly indicative of what Spielberg is capable of when he is just kind of let loose because he really didn't have any of the pressures on him at this point if you think about this as the the point in in his career that he was at he hadn't made that many films. He didn't have that projection onto him of like, oh, he's the guy who makes like the family friendly adventure romps. He was a young guy who was just just getting started, really. And this is the film that he makes. I find that so mind blowing every time I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he actually got it signed off and was given the money to make it is, an, is, is completely uh, absurd when you think about it, because this is the first blockbuster film that's mm. what it gets noted as mm. and right. you know how, how did he pitch it how did he get it signed off nothing nothing like this had been made before it's <laughs> it's 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 you know it's the it's it's one of the most important films in cinematic history and mm. one of the best and like you say it to start it with this scene is just the ambition of the guy at that point what was he 27 mm. and i yeah. think Pe peter benchley was um 27 when he wrote the book as well so there's something about being that age and having the ambition of wanting to do something that's going to set up the rest of your career and when, you, when you're given enough money to do it. Um, and yeah, like you say, this 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 film and, and you know this scene set the set the standard. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm 29. I've missed my moment. I've, 
I'm never going to make my jaws. Uh, Okay, I think, uh, like I said, we could talk for many more hours about this, but uh, we should probably start wrapping up soon. Um, So I want to say a huge thank you to you, Tom, and we will absolutely have to get you back on at some point, I think, because it is clear that you are passionate about this film and that you can talk about it forever. So you are in great company here. um, And we would (laughs) would love to have you back on again so you can talk even more. Um, But just want to give you a chance uh, to plug anything so if you have a, a blog or a podcast or anything like that um and also where uh, people can find you on on twitter as well yeah sure thanks that's been a, it's been a pleasure joining you you guys as you can tell i'll, I'll talk to anyone about this film that will listen even if they don't want to listen I'll, I'll keep on talking <laughs> keep on talking um so yeah I've, I've got no other podcast to plug so i'll just give you a heads up my my, my twitter handle is the the well drinker uh, so find me on there we could talk about this film or any other film or uh, anything that, that that interests you um and please continue listening to this podcast because these guys are awesome and i will certainly be doing the same and i i, I hope to get back on the podcast in the future oh thank you yeah you can definitely come back now uh, <laughs> now you've said such <laughs> nice things about us um and of course we are on uh twitter as well so you can find the podcast at jaws for a minute um you can find uh myself and mj individually on twitter as well i am at sarah buttery and MJ is at MJSmith891. Um, if you have any thoughts, feelings, questions, or you want to share your thoughts on this scene or any other scene that we've uh, spoken about so far or ones upcoming even, um, then you can drop us an email. Uh, we are jaws for a minute at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we still have some guest slots available. So if you would like uh, to be a guest, then let us know as well and we'll see if we can sort that out for you um let us know a particular moment that you might want to talk about and then yeah we can see uh if there's space on the schedule for that but yeah thank you um so much again uh to to tom for coming on and uh we will be back uh next week talking about the the next scene obviously we're going through this chronologically imagine if we did it in like non-linear and we just like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we just jumped about between we're just gonna go straight to christopher Quint- nolan's jaws yeah we go straight to quint's death or something next um <laughs> no we'll be we'll be back next week talking uh about the the next scene um so yeah we will see you then <laughs>